Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello, everyone. I know we have a comedy planned for today, but wow, this one still feels relevant given our politics today. Today, we have Aristophanes' Lysistrata. And before I get any farther into this episode, I'm going to give a content warning. There is no way to talk about Lysistrata without acknowledging the existence of sex. That's what the play is about. So you may not want to listen to this episode with kids or at work without headphones on, or you may want to preview it before listening with your kids. It all depends on your personal comfort level. I won't be explicit. Aristophanes is, but I'll let you read the original text for that. But it is a play about sex, and I suppose I could use a bunch of euphemisms, but I'd prefer to call a spade a spade. Consider yourself warned. Now, back when we did Clouds, I talked about how some scholars claim that that play is Aristophanes' most famous, and that when I read that, I was incredulous. I would have thought Lysistrata is Aristophanes' most famous play. Even if you didn't know that Aristophanes wrote it, you are probably familiar with the story. This is the famous play about how women stop a war by going on strike, right? You've at least heard that reference. Spike Lee used this play as the basis for his Chirac. See, still relevant today. But we aren't going to go over Spike Lee's version today. When I have enough time to start making Beth's Movie Club episodes, that will have to be on the list. But today we are going to go over the original. I'm working from an excellent text called Three Plays by Aristophanes, Staging Women. It's a translation by Jeffrey Henderson that was published in 1996. I like this one because it's intended for non-classic scholars. It was translated for people studying gender, power, politics, etc. So it has some good notes, and the translation is new enough to be accessible to a modern audience. Lysistrata is the third and final of Aristophanes' surviving so-called peace plays, it premiered in 411 BCE at Lanaya, and it did not win. Maybe it was too progressive? Hmm, yeah, we'll talk about how progressive this play may or may not be in the analysis section of this episode. As with the other two piece plays, Lysistrata is set in Aristophanes' present, aka the Peloponnesian War. And for a Greek play, the cast is large, especially once you add in all of the non-speaking roles. As far as the speaking roles are concerned, we have Lysistrata, Kalanike, Myrine, and seven unnamed Athenian women. Lampido is the one Spartan woman with a speaking role. As far as the roles for men are concerned, we have Kinesius, who is Myrene's husband, and two unnamed ambassadors on the Athenian side, and a herald and an ambassador on the Spartan side. Technically, the son of Myrene and Kinesius is a speaking role, but he only has one line, so it really is just a technicality. The non-speaking characters include numerous additional women, slaves of both genders, and representatives of both sides in the war. The chorus in this play is unique because it is comprised of two semi-choruses, 12 old Athenian men and 12 old Athenian women. We'll take a short break and go through the plot when we get back. The play opens on a street in Athens, 
Lysistrata enters from one of the houses. She complains about how the women would be up early for a bacchanal, but no, none of them can possibly be on time for the meeting that she called. Kalanike enters from one of the other houses. Well, at least she is on time, which means Lysistrata now has somebody to complain to. Kalanike points out the amount of work required of an Athenian wife. Lysistrata understands that, but there are more important things to worry about. She tells Kalanike that she has a plan on how, by working together, the women of Athens and Sparta can save all of Greece and end the war. Eventually, the rest of the women enter. Not just the Athenian women. Lampido from Sparta and her allies enter too. Lysistrata presents her plan for ending the war. The women of Greece will go on a sex strike. This does not go over well. Sure, they want the war to end, but give up sex? <laughs> yeah, let the war continue. But once Lysistrata gets an I vote from Lampido, the rest of the women grudgingly agree to the plan. Lysistrata has everyone swear an oath. A cheer is heard from offstage, and Lysistrata explains that this means the other part of her plan has succeeded. The women of Athens are now occupying the Acropolis and the Parthenon. Lampido exits to arrange things in Sparta, and the rest of the women exit to join the rest of the women at the Acropolis. The men's chorus enters. They are hurrying to the Acropolis, armed with logs, um, an unlit torch, and a basket of live coals. They've heard that the women have taken over the Acropolis and plan to try to burn them out. They are met by the women's chorus, who are armed with pitchers of water. The two choruses get into a fight that ends with the men being doused with water. A magistrate enters and asks what's going on. The men's chorus whines about how the women's chorus dumped water on them, so the magistrate naturally calls for crowbars so that they can pry open the gates to the Acropolis. Lysistrata enters and tells them not to bother. The men charge forward, but Lysistrata calls for reinforcements, and a series of old women enter from the gates. The magistrate is shocked to see that the men are outnumbered. Lysistrata taunts him for his lack of imagination. This leads us to the Agon. Lysistrata explains that the women have taken over the Acropolis because that's where the money is. And by controlling the money, the women can keep the men from using it to finance the war. The men are, of course, aghast at this suggestion because how can they keep fighting the war without the money? Lysistrata points out that they shouldn't be fighting in the first place. The men have made a mess and now the women will have to clean it up. But women are good at untangling messes. Lysistrata then uses a simile that I love because I'm a knitter. Uh, sometimes a ball of yarn gets really messed up, but women know how to slowly turn it this way and that until it gets untangled. And that's why women know how to work with the embassies from Sparta and Athens to bring peace to Greece. It's just like cleaning a fleece prior to spinning. Okay, there's an extended fiber simile in this section. Again, I'm a knitter. I love it. If you're a fiber artist, you'll probably enjoy it too. I'll stop boring the rest of you with it. Lysistrata goes on to explain that the women of Greece are losing their best years because the men are off at war. And then she has to explain to the magistrate that a woman's childbearing years are much shorter than a man's, so once the chance is passed, women can't get it back. This section ends with the magistrate going off to find his fellow magistrates and Lysistrata and the women going back into the Acropolis. 
The chorus then picks up the debate, with the men's chorus and women's chorus stripping down for an out-and-out brawl. This means the agon and the parabasis are a little different than what we usually see in old comedy. The agon usually has the two sides present their case and the chorus choosing the winning side, but we only see Lysistrata's argument, so the response is, in fact, the parabasis. This isn't really important in the whole performance of the play, but if you're studying the development of new comedy from old comedy, here's another place where we see Aristophanes starting to break from the form of old comedy. Lysistrata enters. She's worried because the women are starting to rebel. They keep trying to sneak out so that they can go home. The subsequent episode is a comic scene showing the measures four of the wives take to try to get out of their oath. Lysistrata manages to convince all of these women to return to the Acropolis. The chorus then sings a song about the battle of the sexes. The men tell the tale of a man named Melanion, who was wise enough to move to the country and never marry so that he was never bothered by women, which the men's chorus think was a great plan. The women respond with the tale of Timon, who moved to the country so that he could get away from men, showing just how smart he was and what a good friend he was to women. Lysistrata re-enters on the battlements and spies a man coming towards them. Myrene enters and explains that the man is her husband. Lysistrata tells her to get rid of him, but only after a little bit of torture. Kinesius enters, and we have an extended scene in which Kinesius tries to get Myrene to sleep with him, and she finds a way to block his every move. I mentioned their son in the intro. This is the scene where he appears with his one big line of, Mama, Mama. You can see why I hesitate to call this a speaking role. <laughs> Myrene succeeds in slipping back to the Acropolis and leaving Kinesius unsatisfied. A Spartan herald enters. He and Kinesius discuss their current sad state and how much they really want to have sex with their wives. But they also learn from this encounter that it is a global conspiracy and that all of the women in Greece are in on the sex drake. Kinesius tells the herald to go back to Sparta and enrage ambassadors. He says he'll do the same in Athens, and they both exit. The men's chorus and women's chorus make peace with each other and combine to form a single chorus for the remainder of the play. The ambassadors from both Sparta and Athens enter. They note that they are suffering equally from the same affliction. One of the Athenian ambassadors suggests that Lysistrata be invited to join the talks, and the other ambassadors agree. Lysistrata enters. She calls the ambassadors to come close so that she can speak to them because even though she is a woman, she's still pretty smart and pretty well-educated. She then gives both sides a well-deserved lecture, berating them for the behavior that led to the war and that has kept the war going. Lysistrata then oversees the negotiations over which areas of Greece will fall under the purview of each city. When they are done, she instructs them to take the plan back to their allies for their input. The ambassadors argue that this is unnecessary because all of their allies will pick the side that allows them to have sex again. Lysistrata tells them that once they pledge to abide by the treaty, they can take their wives home. They all exit into the Acropolis. The chorus sings a short song that is basically about domestic tranquility. The Athenian ambassadors enter and talk about the great party they've been having. The Spartan ambassadors then enter and decide it's the perfect time for the 11 o'clock number. Lysistrata and all of the wives enter and join their respective spouses in the dance. They all sing a big prayer to multiple gods, and everyone exits as they sing another prayer dedicated solely to Athena.
Lysistrata is an interesting play to consider. I think that in many ways it is one of the most easily translatable of Aristophanes' comedies. While it, of course, contains a lot of humor that is specific to the time in which it was written, the plot doesn't contain anything that can't be understood simply from reading the text. And it ultimately is a battle of the sexes, a contest that has been presented in a variety of formats over the millennia. The play presents a conflict that people in every century can understand. That's why I think this is the most famous of Aristophanes' plays. Even people who don't know the name of the play or the name of the playwright know the story about how the women in Greece went on a sex strike to stop a war. One of the things that keeps this place so relevant is the action the women take. They don't just go on a sex strike. They also take over the Acropolis. But remember the reason? It's because that's where the money is. In our government today, we see issues over appropriations and budgets. How much money should go to the military, to our ongoing wars? Could that money be better spent? If that money weren't available to keep fighting the war, what then? This play can easily be adapted to a different time period. The debate of money for war fits well in an ancient setting, a modern setting, and just about every time period in between. But the big thing to note about Lysistrata is that, despite its seemingly progressive nature, it is anything but. Sure, there is a strong female protagonist. Sure, the women manage to stop the war. But how do they do that? They don't have sex with their husbands. The play works on the conservative principle that there is only one place men can get some, and that's from their wives. No extramarital relations allowed. And apparently, no extramarital relations exist. What do you think? Come share your thoughts on the blog. The link, as always, is in the show notes. On Wednesday, we'll read Book 9 of the Iliad, and on Friday we have another myth episode, this time on Hesiod's Shield of Heracles. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.